Kia ora and welcome to the Female Career Podcast. My name's Anna Johnston and I work as a leadership and career coach for women. I'm looking forward to sharing with you an inspiring collection of career stories of a diverse range of women of Aotearoa New Zealand. I hope that by listening to these stories, you'll feel inspired in your own career. If you do enjoy the story, please head along to our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we have lots more stories of wonderful Kiwi women and their careers. We'd also love you to subscribe to our podcast so that you have all the episodes at your fingertips. And please do tell your friends and family about it too. For now, though, I hope you enjoy listening to this career story. I'm really looking forward to speaking today with Tracy Ryan. Tracy is the Managing Director New Zealand for Engineering Design and Advisory Company Oricon and is responsible for the leadership and performance of over 850 people across five locations. Tracy has a technical background herself with a Master's in Hydrogeology and has worked for over 25 years across a range of global professional services companies and I'm looking forward to hearing more about that today. Tracy is also the Deputy Chair for Infrastructure New Zealand and Chair of the International Federation of Consulting Engineers Sustainable Development Committee. Tracy's also incredibly passionate about getting more women and girls to choose STEM careers, so that's definitely something that we've got in common. I'm really looking forward to hearing more about Tracy and her career today. Kia ora, Tracy, and thank you for joining me. Kia ora, Anna, and really delighted to be here. Wonderful. So the first question I'd have for you is, as you were growing up, what kind of careers were you thinking about for your future? Oh, look, that's a great question. And as probably people can hear from my accent, I'm, I'm not a Kiwi, I'm, I'm Irish. And for me, growing up in, in, in the 70s and 80s in rural Ireland, you know, I was always looking, you know, very influenced at that time of, of really wanting to do something different and better. You know, it was a very male dominant environment and um, there wasn't a lot of role models around that I could look for inspiration to it to a certain point outside of the traditions of maybe teaching and, and, and nursing. And, and that was what a lot of that coaching and mentoring at school was very much directed towards. But I had a passion for a very, very young age to with the environment. I loved being outside. None of my, I'm a first generation myself, my brother is um, um, university students, so the majority of my family were, were farmers, um, Irish farmers, and um, there wasn't a lot of direction and support to ultimately to, to head into tertiary education. But my father in particular was a drive behind getting us interested in school and interested in really pushing ourselves as far as we could. And he really wanted us to kind of push ourselves to to go into university. So I had a, a passion for STEM really early. You know, I loved actually maths. I, I loved science. Um, and, and I'm really interested in physics and, and chemistry and things. And with that, and, and ironically, I wanted to be an engineer. Um, you know, I loved building stuff and designing stuff and things like that. But again, Unfortunately for me, probably the late 80s, that wasn't a recommendation at the time for, for me to go in. And, and, and I was taught by nuns and I settled probably for a science degree at that time. But within that, to continue to kind of do maths and physics and chemistry and ended up kind of exploring and finding myself in the middle of a bog, an Irish wetland. And when I was doing some some internship with the Geological Survey of Ireland, and it's actually, it was a, a hydrogeologist there who said, oh, I think... I think you should be a hydrogeologist. And I thought, oh, that sounds amazing. What is that? And when I learned a little bit more around it, and I ended up then going to do my master's in Birmingham after I did my science degree to really cement that sort of element. And then the rest is history of my career that kind of took off in in professional services for the last 27, 27 years. Yeah, fantastic. And isn't it interesting how our backgrounds, the people around us do influence our career choices, but also how they don't necessarily have to define them. So as you said, others 
other interactions, your own passions helped in the end take you down more of a STEM path, even that wasn't though that wasn't seen at the time as more a traditional path for girls. And for me as well, I am dyslexic, so phonetically dyslexic. And from a young age, I always had to find some strategies and techniques to kind of play out for a little bit for me of, of, of my learning. And, um, you know, within that STEM, for example, I was very good at, at maths and I was very good at, 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 at the chemistry and physics, but it was more the applied side. And I think that's why I went into hydrogeology, because a big part of it was actually exploring and big, big picture thinking and being quite strategic and, and kind of being out in the field and then kind of coming back and obviously producing the advice to the sort of clients in that way, whereas biology and things like that wasn't a great subject for me because I struggled a little bit phonetically looking at the word and going, oh my God, I'm going to be a good nurse if I can't pronounce half the, half of the things that kind of stand here. So, and that probably did play out a little bit for me as, as I was kind of making the choices of going, where could I really play to my strengths and, and, and where could I really bring out some of my enjoyments and passions from a very young age in, into my career as I kind of continued to develop at that, but but recognizing that I kind of had, I wouldn't say it was certainly limitations, but certainly had to kind of develop certain aspects around around my dyslexia. Mm, and thank you for sharing that, because there will be often be things in our background that maybe, as you said, have been challenges or, but also I like also the way you framed it, that there were some other strengths that you had as a result that you were able to play to as part of your career choice. And then tell me then about the first few years of your career. What were some of the highlights, but also the challenges of those that time? Oh, Anna, you know, I was talking to someone this morning, you know, just reflection of, of, of the early stages of my career, because a big part of it, I did my master's in Birmingham, University of Birmingham. So so I had to study outside of Ireland at that, at that time. And within that, I, I stayed and remained in the UK just to get the, the experience of which was happening in a lot of my initial stages of work was actually heavily involved with a lot of the regeneration and closing down of both the text heavily textile manufacturing and also heavy heavy manufacturing of car manufacturing all in the, in the UK in this sort of I suppose early mid mid 90s and and that was great experience of kind of you know have of heading out onto sites spending time gaining that experience on the ground and in the field and things like that which a majority of people start their career in that sort of way and then being able to think about that in a sort of bigger picture sort of sense and I was very fortunate that again with my early stage in my career that I was able to travel so a lot of the work we were doing and, and at the time the, the company I was with was a global company and there was a lot of opportunities to travel with that and I was able to kind of travel particularly throughout Europe you know into into and actually ironically into a lot of the former Soviet states. Sounds like actually some really interesting experiences there in those first few years as you said a lot of time out on site but also some fantastic international experience as well. What then has been the path from there, I guess, to New Zealand and then now ultimately to, to this role that you're doing at Oricon? The path to New Zealand, I, I do giggle a little bit because obviously there is a, a husband involved. <laughs> but look, my, my career part, I think, would have been one of those traditional career parts of starting out very technically, starting out on the ground, getting the experience in the field and and then coming back that over time of taking on kind of project management and then taking on leading teams, leading most disciplinary teams, owning profit and losses, and then stepping up into leadership leadership roles. Or um, here I'm the company that I started my career, which were a global business. They also had a partnership model. And I suppose they were always kind of embracing the opportunities to work around the world and wanting people to be able to travel and connect through that sort of way. And 
So I always embraced all of those opportunities that were presented to to myself. And actually, many of the uh, the colleagues that I actually had who were working there in the UK were under OEs, had headed back overseas and headed back to to Australia. And it's just a big chance. And actually, the story of reflection of why in New Zealand I did meet my husband back in 2001 at the Ireland All Black game in, in Dublin, Lansdowne Road. And the rest is kind of history of now returning to, to New Zealand. He had been on his OE and spent several years overseas. And then eventually there was a desire for him to to return to to New Zealand and but the opportunity came with with my work so ERM were opening a business in New Zealand back in in, in 2007 and then several of the, my former colleagues who I'd been working with at the time connected back in with me in, in the UK and said look at we know you you kind of married a Kiwi would you would you be interested in coming down to New Zealand and help help build and grow the business here in, in New Zealand and originally the, when the, when that kind of conversation came through I just had need for my eldest daughter she was actually I was on paternity leave she was three months old at the time and we just bought a house in London but having that conversation with, with, with Stuart, he had the desire to return home. And then three months later, we were packed up and, and came down to New Zealand in 2008. So so I've been here since. And, and then since that, have changed roles a couple of times, but probably continuing in that sort of leadership journey um, as I've kind of been, been on around that. And what a nice story. I'm impressed that you and your husband managed to bond in the middle of an Ireland All Blacks match rather than uh, be at loggerheads. He claims, Anna, that because we lost at that time, we have won since a couple of times to the All Blacks, but Ireland, we held you scoreless at half time, but then we did lose. But Irish, we're well used to, we celebrate regardless of win and loss. So and there was lots of celebration done afterwards. Nice. And then absolutely, sometimes our paths and our careers, we have a path, as you said, kind of settled in London and then a phone call, an opportunity happens. And, and in that moment, you have discussions and a choice to whether or not to embrace that if it fits in line with your life path. So really exciting that that kind of shifted a bit the, the path for you. And Tracy, we talked about, I guess, some of the progress and some of the things that you've really enjoyed as part of your career but no career is without the occasional hiccup or hurdle along the way if you look back at your career to date what have been some of the tougher challenges or moments that you've experienced I look at this probably many stories over the last 27 years kind of reflecting back but I think it's also been an evolution of the industry as well that we're kind of in and if I think back early in my career when I joined ERM I was probably the second female hydrogeologist and, and, and that's a it was a heavy industry that we're working in so it was always a lot of challenges of being clearly the only woman on site and, and managing large contractors and the contracting world and the environment um, you kind of had to develop a bit of a tough skin but you know now you kind of don't it's not about having a tough skin that's how do we kind of create that inclusivity across the board and kind of remove a lot of those barriers and, and those experiences and things of what maybe I experienced earlier on in, 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 in my career. I think when I kind of developed my career and, and kind of over the years kind of got more into some of my leadership type roles and things for a long time I was still the only woman around the table and you know what stuck with me a couple of years ago I remember being in Singapore and, and kind of a leadership team had come to, together and we're kind of going around the room of, you know, where many of our strengths were and, and kind of what we could kind of bring together as a sort of leadership team and things. And for me, compassion, empathy, integrity and all of that is incredibly important as well as as well as being very brave and kind of courageous. And But I remember when we we're going around sharing that, that again, being the only one around the table, I remember sharing about being empathetic and emotional intelligence and all of that. And I remember the comment being made, oh, that's very, that's very nice. And, and, and that's very, you know, they saw it as a weakness. 
Whereas now we talk about now, you know, about emotional intelligence and social intelligence and really, you know, where people led business around truly caring for that wellness, that well-being and everything that kind of comes into it. And as a leader, that's a big component of it, right? You know, we're here, it's a very privileged role to kind of have and you're here to to serve your people not necessarily not traditional control command style. And, and that's that's probably where I came through a lot. So, you know, I learned a lot around different leadership styles, what works well. And, and I kind of learned from that, you know, from my own behaviours and things like that of the leader that I, that I want to be. To be. So, so it has been many challenges. I think what I committed to myself is that within the time of when we talk about the glass ceilings and things like that, it was always still difficult to progress your career as a female because you're nearly kind of got one person through and it seemed to be, oh, look, we ticked the box. So, and the door got closed very quickly again, whereas to kind of completely shatter the glass ceilings and remove any of those sort of barriers that it's not about that, you know, yes, we've won female across the table and isn't that sort of wonderful. And look at another story I'd like to share. And I remember the time that, that cohort of kind of becoming a partner it was quite a big milestone in, in my career of being a partner and, you know, a lot of hard work and tears and effort and sweat kind of, you know, to, to ultimately build up to partnership. And I remember we were brought in as a sort of cohort, a global cohort into, into Madrid. And we had that sort of celebration for all the partners kind of together around that. And I remember the um, MD at the time, you know, saying everyone kind of stand up and, you know, kind of clap everyone's hand in recognition of the achievement that's been made. And then at the same breath kind of asked everyone for all the females to stand up. And I think there was about, I think, five or six females at, at that time. And then clapping us on, on the basis of, didn't we do well to get one more female through this year? And Anna, that probably took that moment, that moment of just being a partner um, of what we all achieved collectively together to kind of go into being a minority number and feeling not part of that collaborative team of doing it. And, and, and they're celebrating that they kind of brought one more female through that year. And such a powerful story because I think no woman wants to feel that somehow she might be there to tick a box or because she's a woman, you know, you want to feel that you're there because absolutely you deserve to be there, which will have been the case for you. But to be singled out in that way, absolutely, I can I can imagine how that how that might have felt. But also, Tracy, you know, sort of thinking about, um, you talked about those leadership qualities and was what an interesting observation around that the qualities of what we see as being a good leader have been shifting over time from more of a kind of a traditional, rational, logical kind of commander control, maybe more more style to actually, which, you know, broader set of skills, which is about bringing people with you in a time of lots of change and needing the agility, the adaptability to get through that and bring people along that journey. So really interesting observation about, about leadership as well. I guess I wanted to come back to that first challenge that you talked about, which was when you were in many cases the only, the only woman in, on site or in a very male-dominated environment. You know, that's still the case for many women today across a number of industries, be it construction or more broadly in many sort of water, energy industries, even technology, sometimes in agriculture. How Have you got any advice for women who find themselves in those male-dominated environments and, and how they might find their way through? Yeah, look, that's a great question. I think for me, if I reflect back on my year, and I think I touched on it, you know, I think it's it was, you know, there's a lot of kind of role models at the time. And particularly early on in my career, I was often, like I said, the only female in the room. And that meant that bringing a different opinion or a different way of thinking at times was challenging. But I do think the reality is that that, that has moved on quite significantly because the, the, the complexity and the uncertainties and the challenges that we 
are faced with, you know, requires that entire diversity of thinking. And I, and I don't mean it from a gender perspective. I really do think that inclusivity across our workplace, you know, and our workforce is going to drive that innovation, that eminence and, and that creativity to kind of be able to deal with, with the, the complexities of the issues we're trying to solve. And, and I do think that in terms of feeling, having that sort of voice to kind of remember that that's a bigger, there's a bigger picture piece that ultimately needs to be solved and that the industry and, and particularly our industry, the infrastructure industry needs an incredibly diverse workforce to, to be able to deliver on, on that. And for me, I think, you know, earlier on in my, in my career, and I said, yes, there wasn't a lot of role models, but I did have champion champions and some very strong champions, mainly male at the time who who saw a potential in me and saw something in me and, and kind of who did lift me up and push me forward and challenge me and you know and kind of were mentors there so I would kind of suggest that they are there will be champions there there will be mentors and coaches and and they might come out in, a, in many different areas for for you to reach out and kind of think around that circle of influence around you where you can kind of tap into that sort of support and things like that because you know, a lot of people are really there to help and, and, and support and be able to reach into that and, and be able to support and champion you to stretch and drive you and, and lift you up. And I do really thank a lot of them along my sort of career because they really had opened my eyes to the opportunities of what was possible. And I suppose it was down to me what they drive and the passion and, and, and the courage to trust myself and, and, and believe myself and actually get uncomfortable. You know, a lot of time I was actually getting a lot of uh, uncomfortability to believe that I could go up to the next role or to go on the next opportunity. And it's feeling that just getting that courage to to be able to take that step. Mm. And I love the fact that you talked about courage then, maybe rather than confidence, because I think sometimes, particularly as women, we're maybe, oh, I'll just wait till I'm a little bit more confident before I put my hand up to do that thing that is going to be uncomfortable. But actually what it takes in that space is courage to put yourself in that situation. Now, Tracy, you know, it's a pretty big role that you're doing now. And as you said, you do a couple of uh, broader governance roles on top of that. How do you find some kind of balance between your working life and, and your broader life? Great question. And probably Stuart has been interviewed to probably go, well, probably not very, very well sometimes. But to be honest, I'm, I'm really fortunate around my network at home. My husband, Stuart, I have two girls, Neve and Susha, 13 and, and 10. And they probably keep me in check a little bit. There's probably times where I've got that balance a little bit wrong. And I probably realise that actually that's not healthy for anybody. So I think we're very fortunate and particularly fortunate at Oricon. We have a strong, flexible work policy and, and work I suppose, approach as a whole. And, and that allows me to really, I suppose, plan my time, right? You know, my time in terms of my personal time, my plan time, you know, of obviously spending my family time, but but also then my, my work time. And I think it's interesting over the last couple of years that the emergence of that has really come together, right? With COVID kind of working from home and things like that, that there's there's not a fine line between everything anymore, right? We're seeing everyone in their homes. We're seeing everyone with their families or friends or whatever it sort of is. And you know, it's been probably, you know, you need to be careful over the last couple of years of just switching off and just taking that time because even now we're kind of accessible 24-7 with, with technology and things like that and keeping us connected. And yes, we did some great things to allow people to work seamlessly at home over the last two years. But there, there's an element with that as well of looking after your health and looking after your well-being and looking after everything that kind of comes with it. And, and sometimes you have to set those boundaries. You know, I wasn't probably great early in my stage in my career and things like that and, and it became a point that I say actually no it's okay to say no or it's okay to put blocks in your diary and maybe I feel a little bit more comfortable about it now but I think everyone has to probably take a personal responsibility of that and also I think everyone has to take a personal responsibility of what's important for them because what's important for me 
probably won't be as important for someone else, but it's important. And I think we need to distinguish, distinguish that and actually let your team members, let everyone know to say, actually, you know, sorry, here's my some of my no-goes around that. And we, we've certainly got better around the table of, you know, saying, look, I can't do that time. I can't do that meeting. I have these personal commitments or things like that. And that's okay. And it's okay for people to to come in at a certain time, leave at a certain time, work flexible, where they want to work and things like that. And so that will be the new norm kind of going forward around that. I know, similarly, as a, somebody who works full time with three kids, absolutely, work and family are kind of the first things. And then finding the, a tiny little sliver of time for yourself. But in the in the long run, if you're not in a great space, then that's not great for your family or for your work. But it can be hard to see that sometimes when you're putting kind of putting other things first. Great point. And I think it's a really nice point around the flexible working has been such a shift in the last few years. And that I think now it's, you know, it's, it's an expectation from employees that organisations provide some kind of flexibility, but also for yourself thinking about oh, what's important to you, you know, I, and, and setting boundaries around that. And, you know, I know I struggle that I work from home and then kind of the bit at the end of the day, I'll eat my dinner, kids are in bed, I'll just go back on the laptop for a couple of hours. And it's easy to kind of get into that habit. And so finding the boundaries that you want to set um, are really important. Yeah. And I think as a role model, isn't it? That's what people look up for, right? Remember years ago, mm. again, you look at different leaders or different people that you kind of, you know, lie man you and it's like, well, don't do what I do, do what I tell you. But that's the complete opposite, right? You know, you want people want to see their leaders or a line manager or their peers, you know, this, this is not the right thing, but actually having a flexible work life, having that work life balance or or actually, you know, having going out and, and saying, actually, you know what, today is a sports prize giving day or whatever it is, right? I'm going to the school or whether it's actually, you know, I'm going to get my new kitten or what, whatever it is, right? What's important to them, but actually being okay to go and do that not feeling guilty you know i remember years ago like you just described with kids walking out um you know to go home at six or seven o'clock to 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 my girls and for me a lot of it was a bedtime routine which is a little bit sad but but that was probably my time to spend with my 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 children and you know before they went to bed and things like that and but it kind of made feel really guilty because a lot of time I was working with an international organization and sometimes they're slightly kicking in or sometimes. And I remember once just going, you know what? No, between 5.30 and 7.30, 8 o'clock is, is my family time. I can do a call after that. And and they're like, oh, no, but that's 6 o'clock my time. I'm going, well, exactly. That's 6 o'clock my You're on 6 o'clock my time, right? <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of... And that's going back several years ago, you know, once you do it once or twice, actually, it, 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 it isn't an issue. It doesn't become an issue, right? You know, that ultimately you kind of realign sort of diaries and things like that. But one of the things that I loved about Oricon, joining Oricon, is that also they kind of introduced a share care policy, which is really around, you know, having access, you know, that parental care and that access for anybody, you know, in relation to pensional care and particularly around a lot of our men took that up or our male colleagues took that up in relation to allowing their partners to return back to work and for them to kind of get paid for about 18 weeks to kind of go back and stay at home as their partner was returned to work. And that's changed a bit of a ripple ripple impact in, in here at Oricon because of a lot more of our male colleagues taking up those parental care responsibilities, which are a shared responsibility, right, in relation to that. But then recognising, because they've been doing that, of, of, of that need of flexibility of maybe not starting meetings at nine o'clock in the morning because a lot of people are going to drop kids off at whether it's daycare schools or whatever it is, or that flexibility that around it, you know, that recognise, because they've had that, 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 that experience, that to kind of say, oh, there might be a better way of how we kind of manage our time and our, our and, and, and uh, everything else. So I think it just comes down to those sort of conversations, right? You know, and, and um, 
and people being open and but being able to say no this is important to me Mm, I think it's a great point you make there about shared care shared parental leave you know that's got got massive opportunities to shift the dial on gender equality more broadly and fantastic to hear that Oricon is playing a real role in not only having it as part of a policy but also encouraging all genders to share that and then things start to shift as a result. That's great to hear. Tracy, we talked a little bit about some of the tough stuff, some of the challenges that you faced. I'd love to hear what have been some of your proudest career moments. Ooh, proudest career moments. Um of my proudest, despite the fact that you used the example of being, <laughs> becoming a p- partner previously, that was a proud moment. You know, it generally was a proud moment that, you know, you kind of, kind of, um, you know, that did stand out for me of that sort of recognition of years of hard work and, and, and effort to become an owner and a, a partner at, at, at my previous organization. And similar to here at, at Oricon, right, as an owner business, that sort of being an owner and that responsibility and, 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 and commitment that kind of comes with it from a custodian care is, is that. Like one of, again, many, other, another proud moment from my career was probably just a couple of years ago when I joined Oricon and um, well, maybe really proud to be to be part of an organization like Oricon, which was really, truly focused around values, around diversity, equity, inclusion, and standing up at the Diversity Work Awards and, and kind of taking out um, that accepting the award on behalf of Oricon and behalf of people around our shared care parental leave policy, you know, and um, again, that was kind of a moment to, to, to kind of see, as you said before, of how that was creating that ripple effect in our organization. So it's really fantastic to, to ultimately see those sort of things um, come to life. And I think some of the other things, you know, which which I think, you know, which I kind of reflect back on and I'm and, and proud is, it's just sometimes it's the little things, you know, I get great enjoyment of clients calling me or, or industry peers calling me and, and just calling out and naming and saying, hey, such and such today did a great job for me. You know, that was really amazing. Or or the team, you know, the team down here have done some, some amazing work in delivering this or actually, you know, there was some of our team when the impact of COVID and some of the eminence and some of the innovation that they were creating, which is kind of helping out, um, helping out with communities and things like that. And, and, and those little phone calls or, or recognition or walking by someone just to say that, that gives me just, again, great, great enjoyment to just be able to um, hear and, and recognize what our sort of people are doing. Mm, and what a nice combination of different stories you told then. I think I was sort of listening to it and thinking there's that pride and some of the achievements that you've done and the, the hard work and the efforts that you've put in. There's pride there and being able to stand on behalf of an organisation whose values and approach you really believe in, but also real pride in your people and seeing their successes coming through. So what a, what a nice combo. I know you, you're still feeling, fairly, uh, you know, it's only been a couple of years in the role for Oricon, but if you think more broadly into the future for your career, where do you see that potentially heading? You know, I'm really enjoying my current role and, and I think I'm still being challenged by it to a certain point, and particularly over the last couple of years, because when I started, I started the role in early 2020. And I spent a little bit of time with my, my peers and colleagues in, in Australia to understand Oricon and, and everything like that. And then kind of came back to New Zealand. And then two weeks later, we went down into, into lockdown. 
our first lockdown. So a lot of the world has changed since, since then over the last two years. And maybe some of the aspirations that I had at that time, not that I've slightly maybe changed a little bit, you know, we kind of went through of having running a business through a bit of a crisis to then how do we navigate and, and continue to survive. But now it's a sort of how do we thrive and you know, how do we thrive in the world of uncomplexity and, 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 and uncertainty and everything that kind of goes with it. So, you know, I am enjoying that and I really am because I think it's really stretching me quite a lot to kind of, you know, continue to think outward and, and think macro and kind of re- reflect on what's what's happening with a lot of those uncertainties and then how do you how do you kind of lead a business and, and be able to drive through that and I think that's actually I'm quite excited by that because some of the other things that that I enjoy doing and continue to do you know I do love some of the governance opportunities that I actually have I think that allows me to give back in some way and get involved with more broader issues across that so whether I go into governance in, in time, but 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 keeping actively involved with a lot of industry, industry um, activities and, and and industry bodies, and and particularly as well with FIDIC, the international one. You know, I really like giving my time, and actually very privileged that Oricon lets me spend a lot of that sort of time in kind of what I do in that. And particularly around mentioning around things like STEM, you know, driving um, more inclusivity into our workplace. So you know, getting involved with more of those society issues like with FIDIC, I chaired a sustainable development committee, and last year and actually continuation this year, you know, addressing the, the impact of climate climate change and how do we as an industry and a global infrastructure industry, you know, really challenge and and, 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 and nearly create a sort of pledge around what we're doing to try and mitigate and, and, and play a role in relation to what we do there. And also with some of the work with WWF in terms of natural capital solutions and how that, that is very much playing out for us now and as part of those sort of, um, as well, a solution for climate change, addressing climate change impacts as well. So they're really exciting and great to be part of that. Mm, really nice and nice to hear. You know, maybe it doesn't always need to be kind of a perfectly mapped out, laid out plan. Sometimes opportunities come across, come through down the phone and then assessing for yourself is that something that sparks energy in me and that therefore I want to kind of explore further. Yeah, really nice. And Tracy, one last question for you. I know you've already shared lots of advice today about courage and seeking out support from others and finding boundaries within your balance, some of the the challenges potentially of being a a woman in in more of a male-dominated environment. Have you got any other career advice for women that, that you wanted to share? Yeah, I think I touched on some of them. You know, I think something that's really important, you know, for women particularly is understand your value and being open to, you know, taking those opportunities. I think we touched on, on that a little bit. But maybe another thing I talked about, that sort of network and influence. I think the other pieces around your network, you know, those connections you make and, and people you have relationship will remain with you throughout your career and will be so important, you know, as you take those next steps. And, you know, for me, if I reflect back over the last 27 years, it's, it's interesting that, you know, I've kept great expanding of network all around the world, you know, through whether short interactions, whether it's working on projects, whether it's actually, you know, and, and there's a power of the connections now through social media and things like LinkedIn and everything, right? It's it's just, and, you know, they're really powerful connections. And I think it's important that people continue. That's how we grow to completely, you know, to expand your networks and kind of build on that, I think, is, is something that um, to be able to take time to, to, to do that. And like I said, you know, I said before, that confidence, you know, be confident in your abilities, you know, take the opportunities to come along and um, and that diversity of experience and thinkings and capability is really, really important as well as some of those behavior, you know, empathetic and everything that kind of comes through. Because I think 
tackling some of the big issues like climate change and many other things is going to require a broad range of diversity of thought and experience and, and, and also mindset and, and, and behaviours to be able to address some of those big issues and challenges that we're faced with globally. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Super advice. And definitely, I think that piece around the network piece about painting that, continuing to nourish it beyond just a social media stance, but actually kind of real human connections, because that's the way that you learn and grow and develop as well. Yeah, super advice. Tracy, it's been such a pleasure to speak with you today and to hear about your journey, as you said, from the maybe being out in, on the bogs of uh, over, over in Europe um, through to your journey out to New Zealand through those series of kind of management into leadership roles. And then I can hear absolutely the, the real enjoyment you get today from leading a great group of people in, in an organisation that, of course, you know, you feel you're, you're really aligned in terms of values. I really also appreciated your very open and honest thoughts about some of the challenges maybe that as women we face and how you found your way through overcoming them so so really appreciate you sharing that too thank you thank you Anna Giora. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the female career podcast thank you so much for listening for more inspiring stories of women of Aotearoa and their careers subscribe to the female career podcast via apple spotify google or wherever you like to listen so that you never miss a story You can also take a look at our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we feature the stories. And if you subscribe to our mailing list, you can have career advice and inspiration delivered directly to your inbox. Thanks for your support, and I look forward to you joining us again soon. Mm